Remember the Titans. Attitude reflects leadership. Wish that wasn't the case. Um, wish attitude reflected whether it was sunny or cloudy. Wish the attitude reflected whether or not we could get good referees. But it doesn't. Attitude reflects leadership. And so the question is, is that leadership uh, uh, positive or negative? Is it safe or is it toxic? Attitude reflects leadership. Uh, I came across an article earlier this year written by uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll. And it's an article on leadership, and it's titled Positives, Negatives, and Neutrals. And because attitude reflects leadership, Driscoll says every ministry leader needs to be a positive. Every ministry leader. And this is not just in the church setting, you know. This is just in any leadership-influencing setting. Because attitude reflects leadership. And, uh, And the tone of the family reflects the tone of the parents. And the tone of the classroom reflects the tone of the teacher. The tone of the school reflects the tone of the principal. And the tone of the church reflects the tone of the pastor. Attitude reflects leadership. And that's why ministry leaders need to be positive. They need to be apositive. And positives are people who do gospel things in gospel ways for gospel reasons. They are trusting. They are supportive. They are encouraging they build bridges, they bring organizational health, they work for the good of the gospel over any single issue or cause. They want the gospel to win and they're willing to put the gospel ahead of their friendships. The gospel's going to come first. And they are and and those kinds of leaders are positives because they humbly want the gospel to win. And in the Bible, such positives are called elders. Spiritual influencers, leaders. And Driscoll continues, he says, for a ministry to remain positive, the senior leader, the other key influencers, they have to be positives and they have to remain positives which means that even when they deal with negative things, even when they deal with that which is toxic, they need to do so in non-toxic ways. Why? Because attitude reflects leadership. And the glory of God and the good of his people and the gospel, that comes first. Attitude reflects leadership. How do you deal with toxic people or toxic issues or toxic teachings or toxic situations? How does a leader deal with that which is toxic in a non-toxic way? Well, that's what I want us to talk about this morning because that's where we are in our journey through the New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, we will be paying close attention to verses 10 through 16. If you have your Bibles... I'd like you to turn there. 
Titus chapter 1. It's on page 844 of your church Bibles. And the story of Titus is a, a wonderful story of how the Apostle Paul and his associate Titus uh, journeyed to the island of Crete. Probably, I think, maybe, I could be wrong, best guess, between the years A.D. 64 and A.D. 67. So this would have taken us after the events described in the book of Acts. And they go to the island of Crete, and the Apostle Paul proclaims Jesus Christ. God, the Son, came down in the flesh, and he lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died. And he did that so that we might have a relationship with God the Father, so that we would live in in a spiritual community. Jesus Christ suffered and died and was buried and rose bodily from the grave. And that message connected with the people on Crete. As the Apostle Paul would take the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and just align them with Jesus of Nazareth and and this, this Messiah prophesied showed up in Jesus of Nazareth and he's He's risen, and and people were changed. Lives were changed. Marriages were changed because they had heard the truth that God had come to rescue them. And wouldn't you have liked to have heard their version of what we just experienced when we sang here? It's all because of Jesus, I'm alive. I mean, how did Cretans do that in the first century? I just would have loved to have just experienced that because it was pretty electrifying here, I can tell you that. We sang it like we believed it, didn't we? And so Paul would proclaim the gospel and like a construction manager, pouring a foundation with footers, the apostle Paul would do that, but then before he would leave a particular uh, uh, area, before he would leave the churches, he would appoint, well, if this is the foundation, he would appoint roofers and framers to provide shelter and protection for those new believers. And those roofers and framers were called elders. And, and for some reason, and we don't know, the Apostle Paul had to leave the island of Crete before he personally was able to select them. He, we see that in Acts 14, 23. That was his practice. You can just write that down in your margin. But for some reason, Paul couldn't stay on Crete. So he left Titus on Crete to do that task, to, to select and appoint godly roofers and framers who would protect and provide shelter for this newly formed Christian community all throughout the cities and the island of Crete. Because you see, if you feed people the truth, and if they receive the truth, and if you protect them, then they will grow. Because God has designed his church to grow. Just, you know, how does a baby grow? It's constitutionally designed to grow, okay? Give it food, give it drink, let it rest, and it'll just take over. That's how it happens. Happens in our house. And that's how it happens in the the church family. And so that's why Paul says to Titus in chapter 1, verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you, verse 5. And then you have the description of a qualified roofer and framer in verses 6 through 9.
And then we get to verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those among the search of, uh, uh, of the circumcision group. Can you imagine? This building is about eight years old now. Can you imagine when the foundation was poured and the concrete and the footers and all, then you've got a set of framers coming to, and they're working on a set of plans, but then another group of framers and roofers come and they work on another set of plans? Two sets of plans on one foundation? Can you imagine? That's a recipe for conflict, don't you think? Or what if uh, in the next week or so as you're preparing for Thanksgiving, uh, you and a relative, you go to the kitchen and you're working on the same pumpkin pie with two different recipes. <laughs> or let's say that you go into town and you're here in Champaign-Urbana for the very first time and you have a map of Champaign-Urbana but the person next to you has a map of Bloomington Normal and you have a power struggle as to which map you're going to follow. You see? That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. It's not like Titus has to recruit roofers and framers because nothing's going on. It's because there are, there are already two sets of roofers and framers. And, and, and there's, there's, there's God's set of plans and there's, there's a toxic set of plans. And Titus is there to take care of business. And verse 11 says, They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. It's going to be our memory verse for the book of Crete, okay? Just <laughs> Titus, all right? Just whatever. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Wow. That's not good. You've got, you've got two sets of plans here on one foundation, and, and that makes for a dangerous facility. So Titus is sent to recruit some elders, some shepherd leaders who need to deal with a toxic situation, but they need to deal with it in a non-toxic way. How do you deal with toxic situations, toxic people, in a non-toxic way. Well, that's what we learn here in these verses. And it's a one-point message, okay? It's a one-lesson message. And here it is. Here is how it's done, according to Titus. Spiritually healthy churches. Spiritually healthy churches have spiritually healthy leaders who identify, who after identifying that which is toxic, they take initiative to fix it. That's it. That's it. Spiritually healthy churches, spiritually healthy Christian communities are spiritually healthy when the spiritually healthy leaders identify the toxic and take initiative to fix it. And I just want to dissect that. I want to just kind of play out that, that big idea for us this morning. And let's just, take, let's just take the two sections there of that big truth. First, identify the toxic. Identify that which is toxic. Are you able to do that, by the way? Are you? And are you willing to do that? 
identify what's toxic. Some Christians have a hard time doing that. They do. Uh, they, they think, well, you know, aren't we just supposed to love everybody? And, uh, are, are, you know, we're, we're not supposed to be judgmental. We're just supposed to accept everybody. And, you know, uh, and, and, and so they, and they, they fail to identify that which is toxic. And, and they say, you know, Jesus said, you know, don't judge so that you won't be judged for the manner in which you judge you will be judged and and well yeah he did say that i know where he said that he said that in the sermon on the mount he said that in matthew chapter 7 you need to understand though that when he said that in matthew chapter 7 when he says do not judge he's everything has a context right and the context is this matthew chapter 7 is in that section of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is giving a portrait of a fully devoted follower of Christ. And, and he's comparing the fully devoted follower of Christ with the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious hypocrites and his enemies. And so when he says, do not judge, I don't want you to judge like the Pharisees judge because they're, they're hypocritical, fault finders who are nitpickers over just various minutia of the Bible, and they use their knowledge of the Bible to beat people over the head with it, and that's not good. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7. That's not what Paul is talking about in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, Paul is telling his associate that they need, he needs to train shepherd, elder, leaders, He needs to train them to identify that which is spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, non-toxic, safe teaching, and those who teach versus those who are not spiritually healthy, who are toxic, who are unsafe, and who are emotionally immature. He's saying you need to be able to discern the difference between the two. You need to be able to know enough about both to be able to identify and to spot and to name and to call it. That's the role of a leader. Well, what is toxic, by the way? What do you mean toxic? Well, look through verses 10 through 16. (laughs) For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers. Mere talkers and so toxics are ungospel people who do ungospel things in ungospel ways. Toxics are the kind who say, "My will be done, not thy will be done." Toxics are more concerned with presentation skills than content. Toxics make you depend on them, not the truth. Toxics will enslave you, not free you. Toxics have calloused minds, not generous hearts. Toxics are merit-based, not mercy-based. They tend to focus on works righteousness, not grace. Toxics want to use you, not serve you. That's why Paul says in verse 11, they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Toxics want to be served, but they have not mastered the gift of serving others. See? Toxics talk, but they don't walk. They, verse 16, 
claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. That's what we mean by toxic. Do you know anybody like that? You know anybody like that in your circles or in your relationships or maybe at work or maybe, you know. And, now, and can you name that? Can you? Are you able to discern what's going on? You see, what you need to understand, this is the letter written to Titus, and Titus is going to read this, but you need to understand that Titus is also going to take this letter, and he's going to share it with the local house churches, and the dynamic is not this. <laughs> There's several hundred people in here, and, you know, the truth can go out and speak, and, and the dynamic, and you can pretty much remain kind of anonymous, you know, sort of, especially if the truth is connecting with you, either in a comforting way or in an afflicting way you know you can stay anonymous here all right but we're talking house churches so there may be 20 or 30 people at the most and so this is going to be read and while it's being read i mean the elephant is going to be identified (laughs) oh yeah and that's going to happen all throughout the island because not only does paul want titus to be able to identify what's toxic. And not only does Paul want Titus to train spiritual leaders who will identify what's toxic, Paul wants the church family to be wise enough to be able to identify what is toxic so that it is not tolerated and so that they are not influenced. Because you see, there are positives and there are negatives and there are neutrals. Neutrals who are easily influenced and easily swayed Easily talked into because they don't know, they don't know the whole picture, but so they're just kind of going to go to who, with who talks best. And the Apostle Paul wants Titus to put these neutrals on notice that they are in fact neutral and they need to choose. So it's a choice between two visions. Two visions. Two visions for the church are being presented in Titus chapter 1. And you can see it here. One vision says... It's, it's, this is safe. This is God's vision, the, the vision of a, of, a, of a house builder and manager that integrity is blameless and, 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 and not volcanically tempered and, and holding fast to sound doctrine and truth-based, but the other vision is toxic, wrecking houses, wrecking environments, poisoning relationships, defiled, pursuing selfish, dishonest gain. Which of these visions will exist on the island of Crete in those churches? Well, that depends upon how well Titus does his job to communicate and, and to empower and to appoint leaders who will do their job, who will disciple believers, who will live out this vision right here. So, can I ask you this question? Which vision, which vision are you going after? I mean, think about the relationships of the people in your life. Do they, are, these people who, are these people who encourage and help you to grow closer to Christ? Are these folks who are helping you? Think about your dating relationship. Are you dating? Are you, are you with someone right now that, that they're, they're not encouraging you to grow closer to Christ? They're not encouraging you to... to connect with other Christians. They're not encouraging you to be the kind of believer that Jesus Christ has wired you to be. And if Titus were here, he's saying, why are you letting them influence you? 
Is there not a pattern here? Here, a pattern of, of associating with people who are high on presentation skills, but low on content, empty talkers, and then you get impressed with them, and you let them influence you, and then later, then, and then what happens? They end up hurting you, but then instead of learning from that lesson, you go back to another person who's high on presentation skills, and there's a pattern. And Titus is saying, stop that. That's not good. You need to identify that which is toxic. And that's what we see in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. It's a really important verse here. And if you're not going to memorize Titus chapter 1, verse 2, memorize Proverbs 22, 3. Let's say it together. 1, 2, 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. I mean, some of you right now, I mean, you're in a dangerous, toxic relationship and you're just going to just go right on in and just, man, flee. Get out of there. These folks are toxic. Paul says, Paul says they're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Break up. Say, well, aren't we supposed to just love him to Jesus? Not you. What? Not you. The elders are. You let, you let the spiritual parents take care. That's their job. See, that is. That, that is. That's their job. You let them take it. And they're not, that's why there's a plurality. There's not just one elder's going to take care of it. See? It's called backup. All right, one person taking on a toxic person or toxic people—that's a disaster. That's why you need a plurality, and that leads us to the second part of this truth. You know, identify what is toxic and take initiative to fix it. To fix it, take initiative to fix it. That's why verse eleven says they must be silenced. Because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. They must be silenced. That word literally means gagged. They must be gagged. Muzzled. Yeah. Now, those of you who are type A's, there's a certain deliciousness about that. And perhaps that's why there's a plurality of elders. To take that toxic person Takes a couple of elders to tie him down. <laughs> and one other elder to hold the nose and the other to pull the chin down. And then the chairman of the elders <laughs> stuffs this right down their mouth. Gag him. In a ministerial sort of way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, not quite. We got to keep reading. <laughs> How will they be muzzled? How will they be gagged? Verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply. Therefore rebuke them sharply. So that, what's it say? So that, so that what? So that they will leave? So that they will just go away. If you just, you know, I I wish the problem would just go away. Like walk away. 
like drive away, like move away. I'll recommend the realtor. I wish they would just go away. But that's not what this says, does it? And, And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if it did? And especially for someone like Titus. Because that which is toxic here on the table is personal to Titus. Because the Apostle Paul says part of what's toxic and part of the people who are toxic, Paul says they are part of the circumcision group. So, that the, so the bad framers and the bad roofers and the, and the toxics and the negatives come from a Hebrew-based background where they're nitpicking on various, various details of, of, of their particular interpretations of the Hebrew Bible and, and focusing on non-biblical myths and, and even genealogical lists all for the purpose of, of, of trying to worm their way into homes and, and trying to get dishonest gain and influence. And, and, and ti, ti, Titus, is, Titus, is, Titus is Greek. He's not Jewish. And wouldn't it be just better for the Apostle Paul to just take care of business because he can come in, he's the Apostle, he's got the bigger badge, he's going to deal with the issue, he's going to clean up the mess, and then he's going to, and that way the elders don't have to worry about it. But, you know, for whatever reason, that's not, that's not what's happening here. Titus the Greek is going into a racially mixed church, and he's going to have to stand toe-to-toe in the truth against the Hebrew-based circumcision group heretics, and he's going to have to do that with poise and integrity as he teaches them. See? Uh, how, how, how would that be in our day? I mean, what could we... Well, I mean, what would it be like for an African-American spiritual leader to come into a racially mixed congregation and have to stand toe-to-toe with all of the history of the past, stand toe-to-toe with, with the white heretics and have to stand toe-to-toe with the truth and with poise and with grace and to do so in such a way? Why, isn't that what Paul is telling Titus to do in Titus chapter 2? Verses 7 and 8, in everything set them an example by doing what is good and in your teaching show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. That's how Paul wants Titus to gag the bad teaching. Bad teaching is going to get gagged with good teaching. And the Apostle Paul wants Titus to train and ordain good teachers who will rebuke the bad teachers, not so that the bad teachers will leave. The goal is not expulsion. The goal is correction. That's the goal because we need framers. We need the roofers. We just need to be on the same plan. We need to be on God's plan. And so Paul wants those good teachers to rebuke the bad teachers so that the bad teachers will become good teachers by means of good teaching. You just got to teach your way through this issue. You got to teach your way through this issue. And Titus can do this with poise and integrity. And I'm convinced that he did. And I'm convinced that history, history shows that he did because of the influence of Christianity on that island. And Titus was able to do that because attitude reflects leadership. And Titus has a leader who himself became a servant, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our great king and our savior, he came down 
And he identified that which was toxic in our lives and in our hearts. And then he took initiative to fix it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners. While we were enemies, Christ died. And so, so Titus knows who he is. He belongs to Christ. And he only needs to please one person, and that's Jesus. And he is in the same spiritual family as the Apostle Paul, someone of a different race, but someone of whom Paul says, Titus, you are my true son in our common faith. That's poise, that's integrity, that's grace, that's safe. That's doing a gospel thing in a gospel way to fix that which is toxic. Spiritually healthy leaders lead spiritually healthy churches and those churches are healthy when those leaders identify what is toxic and take initiative to fix it. Well, that's my point. Okay. I close with two questions and some pomegranate juice. Question number one. Question number one is this. What toxic behavior do I need to confront on my island of Crete? What is it? Where's your Crete? Where is it? It's not going to go away. It's not. God expects you, as the leader, to do the job of identifying it, and taking initiative to fix it. Taking initiative. And frankly, church family, um, that thought fatigues me. You know, you just, you just, I just get, fati- I just feel fatigued at that. I really do. And. Um, and, and the toxicity that occasionally occurs around here, I just, it, 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 it occurs enough that I just, I just feel worn down. And I just, I, I, I tend to resent, I tend to resent it. I do. And, and then, um, then I received some wisdom at a conference a few years ago. Uh, Colin Powell spoke, and this is what he said. He said, the day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day you've stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help them or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. And that just helped me. It helped me understand when toxic issues occur, when problems occur, that it's not right for me as a leader to resent that. I need to view that as an opportunity, as a leadership opportunity, as a shepherding opportunity, as an opportunity to influence. And I, need, and I need to change my attitude because attitude reflects leadership. So what toxic behavior do you need to confront on your island of Crete? Question number two is this. What toxic behavior do I need to confront in my life? In my life. See, in my life. Heaven forbid. Maybe I'm the one acting like the Cretan. Maybe I'm the one. 
And maybe God is putting godly leaders in my life and they're challenging me. You're an heir of the coming kingdom. You're an heir. You're a prince of the new heavens and the new earth. Act like it. Live like it. Talk like it. Set an example like it. So that, so that no one can accuse you and no one can, who opposes you has anything to say because they can't say anything bad about you. See? You cannot possibly wor- be worth anything as a leader or an influencer if you're not willing to follow Christ wherever he goes. You can't. What needs to be fixed in your heart that's toxic? Identify it and bring it to those who love you and ask them, ask them, what's toxic in my life that I'm missing and help me? This week I read about a grocery shopper went to the store and they wanted some pomegranate juice. Blueberry pomegranate juice. They, they came to the aisle, they looked at the jar on the shelf and it said, blueberry pomegranate, 100% juice, all natural. And there at the front of the label was this, this picture of this ripe pomegranate, spilling exotic, glistening seeds all over these beautiful fat. And then the shopper read the ingredients list. Filtered water, pear juice concentrate, apple juice concentrate, grape juice concentrate. Where was the blueberry? Where was the pomegranate? The shopper said, finally I found them fifth and seventh on a list of nine ingredients after mysteriously unspecified natural flavors. Now, you know by law in our country, food ingredients are listed in descending order of weight. So that means a product contains the greatest proportion of the first ingredient on the list and successively less of those farther down. So according to the list, the jug on the shelf held mostly water and other juices with just enough blueberry and pomegranate for flavor and color. And then the shopper turned back to see that front label once again. And in small, easy-to-miss type were these telltale words, flavored juice blend with other natural ingredients. It was a clever label. It was, it was, it was a decoy to sell diluted blueberry pomegranate flavored product convincingly disguised to look like something it wasn't. And the shopper said, I put it back on the shelf. And then the shopper said this. I left the store empty-handed and wondering, what if I had an ingredients list printed on me? Would Jesus be the main ingredient? If not, how far down the list would he be? Would my label accurately represent my contents or would I falsely project a misleading outward appearance that cleverly masked diluted ingredients? Oh, my packaging may be convincing. I may look and sound like the real thing. But what if someone came to me looking for Jesus beneath my Christian label 
and found something else. Something Jesus flavored, but not Jesus filled. 